and welcome to Friday, October 30th, 2020, almost over edition of On Iowa Politics. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I've got to say that I think COVID has ruined Fridays. <laughs> I, I used to look forward to Fridays all week, and now I get to Friday and it's just like, hmm, yeah, okay. Is it? What day is it? Friday? We're oh, sitting around at the house, you mean? Yeah, uh, staring, uh, you know, at my screen, zooming in the meetings. Uh, I want my Fridays back. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, James. Yeah. All right. Well, this week it's all about elections. This election. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. And Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, we're going to talk about what are the kids up to? Since 18-year-olds <laughs> got the right to vote in federal elections, young voters have been underrepresented at the polling place. In 1976, they were 18% of the electorate, but only 13% of them voted. 30% voted in the 1996 election, and in the last two cycles, there have been massive get out the young voter efforts. Um, still fewer than half of the 18 to 29 year olds voted uh, four years ago. That's all going to change this year, right, Amy? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's all going to change for sure. Um, but definitely they're trying to ship away at this, you know, next gen, which of course used to be next gen climate, which was the organization that Tom Steyer started um you might remember him from his uh democratic presidential campaign this um, plaid so, tie that's right ed the plaid tie yes yes well um so he started this group basically i, I think he's he's not exactly involved as much as he was but definitely it they're all about getting out the youth vote you know kind of like other events in the past and i'm sure a lot of other groups are working to get out the youth vote this year um, so it's not just next gen. You're seeing everything from basketball players to um, celebrities, influencers on Instagram trying to, you know, tell young people, you know, you should go out and vote because it really is just this untapped resource. You know, even with all of that, though, locally, um, basically, next gen says that um, 17 percent of that age group has now returned absentee ballots or voted early in person. So it's kind of on par with, so by this time in 2018, we had 18% of them casting ballots. Or sorry, in, in 2016, we had 18% of them casting ballots. So we're likely to break the record, but not by much. It's not going to be that we've got a larger, a much larger amount of young people voting unless they vote in person. And we don't really necessarily know if that's going to happen or not. I, I haven't looked into those numbers, whether they're voting more in person as an age group or more absentee. But I would think that they probably follow the trend lines of other age groups this year in that they are voting more absentee. So it'll be really interesting to see what the percentage ends up being. And by the way, I did this story after I found out about a live stream where next gen organizers in Iowa were trying to um, tell people how to vote and how to register by going to a goat farm in Waterloo and putting themselves among the goats and, and then putting that live stream out because goats are adorable. Oh, goat yoga, goat voting. Okay. Goat voting. Yeah. Tom, um, 
we tend to see these uh, campaigns targeted at young voters coming from the left, and research has shown that younger Americans tend to vote Democratic. Um, but when you look around, there are plenty of young GOP campaign campaign staffers out there. Um, are they the exception rather than the rule? Um, and, and do efforts like Next Gen coming from the right uh, help? Are, are there efforts like Next Gen coming from the right? Yeah, well, during the Republican National Convention, uh, Republicans seem to make a concerted appeal to a new generation of voters, um, showcasing figures like uh, Charlie Kirk, uh, co-founder of Turning Point USA, uh, pro-Trump student group, um, and then uh, Madison uh, Cawthorn, a 25-year-old who recently won a congressional primary in North Carolina for Mark Meadows' U.S. House seat. Uh, who is now President Trump's chief of staff, uh, Cawthorn beat a Trump-endorsed candidate who uh, happens to be a family friend of, of Meadows and a longtime uh, Republican Party volunteer. Um, but, you know, members of Generation Z, those born after um, 1996, uh, as you mentioned, tend to lean left like their millennial counterparts. Um, and among young Republicans, Research suggests that Trump's appeal with those voters may have its limits. Um, researchers from Tufts University found that nearly one in five young voters who backed Republicans in 2018 plan to support Joe Biden this year. Um, and uh, NPR last month interviewed a group of, of young Republicans, asking them to reflect on the future of their party. And a few suggested that um, young Republicans may be turning away because Republicans are not talking about the right issues. Um, one young Republican pointed out uh, or pointed to things like the accepted science of uh, climate change, LGBTQ rights in, in racial injustice. Um, and, and he and other young Republicans have recently launched um, Gen Z GOP um, aimed at, at reaching disaffected young Republicans. Um, the group, according to its website, says that it aims to, um, quote, chart a new vision for the Republican Party. Um, one that can, quote, find balance, formulate solutions, and focus on the future. Um, the group uh, states that, uh, quote, our generation needs a party that will address the issues that affect us most, and our generation needs a palatable alternative to, to the political left. Um, locally here in Scott County, you know, I have not seen efforts like Next Gen um, coming from the right. Now, that, that, that's not to say that doesn't mean that those efforts might not be taking place. Um, but, um, yeah, many of the young faces that I've seen at GOP events have tended to be staff from, from campaign or the party. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it seems like most of the activity that I see is from like the college Republican groups, um, right. which are active in places like Iowa city. And I, I don't know, maybe in, in the quad cities with some of the colleges there, I don't know if there are groups on campus and, uh, but it's not widespread like, uh, um, next gen effort. Uh, in the same way, so it may uh, it may take longer to motivate those uh, Republican-leaning young voters, or maybe they'll just grow into it as they age. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about this campaign. What a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, impeachment, pandemic, economic crisis, national conversation about racism the death and replacement of Supreme Court justice. Um, if that wasn't enough for one year, uh, we have an election on our hands too. And every election cycle has its own vibe. This cycle has been unlike anything I've experienced. And there's plenty of time for new twists and turns as people vote Tuesday and the ballots are counted. Um, 
sometimes we like to play games and ask people to describe an election in one word or one phrase. And, and for me this year, this would be about mask. And actually, before we started recording, we were talking about this, whether uh, a mask is uh, a marker, so, so to speak, for whether you're a Trump Republican or not. And, um, you know, when you look at the issues, almost every issue turns on whether a voter wears a mask or not. Um, or perhaps whether they believe whether the in the government telling you to wear a mask. That seems to be sort of the fault line in, in this election. Um, I guess the other word that comes to mind is virtual, because that's the way so much of the campaigns and party events have happened this year because of the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, you know, it, it's just, to me, it, it's really strange that I still have not met Teresa Greenfield live in person. I've been on a lot of Zoom calls with Teresa Greenfield. <laughs> um, but if you, know, if you asked me a year ago or even six months ago, if I would cover a U.S. Senate campaign without meeting the candidates, right. I would have said no way. But you know, COVID has certainly limited our, our coverage of events. Uh, you, you know, with every event, you have to make a choice and make a decision about, do you want to go indoors uh, to cover an event? You know, it's a different situation if it's outdoors. Um, you know, will people be wearing masks? Uh, you know, those sorts of things. Um, so, I mean, there's just been a whole lot of changes this year in, in the number of events covered, how we've covered them. Um, you know, in the past, I, I probably would have done more traveling around the area to cover uh, candidates like um, Teresa Greenfield and Senator Joni Ernst, as well as uh, congressional candidates. Um, but this year, very limited travel to go out and cover those sorts of things. Um, you know, we've tried to maintain our, our coverage, but the candidates are limiting number of public events they've been doing. So there have been fewer opportunities for those. And, and it seems to me that the coverage of legislative races and county races is, no pun intended, but virtually non-existent uh, in a lot of areas. So um, Amy, talk a little bit about this, about how this campaign differs or what has, what has been different about this campaign. You hit on it. It's it's disruption. If I'm going to pick one word for the 2020 election, that's the word. The the former positive corporate buzzword of disruption. It's it's definitely everything has been disrupted this year. Nothing's been the same. And even if you took coronavirus out, that might be true just because you've got sort of a, a disruptive president who who defies the norms, but given coronavirus and and everything that's happened um you know, with that, it's just been crazy. We've been covering Zoom bus tours, you know, we've been covering uh, just sort of the way that we cover, even if we're going to in-person events, you know, we're just very cognizant of our space, um, just making sure you wear a mask. Um, I've got now a, a microphone that has like a, a 12 foot cord on it so that I can, I can hand it to somebody and they, you know, they can stand away and then we can still pick up the audio that we need to pick up. Um, but just just learning how to cover campaigns in in that environment has been really instructive for me. And it's it's interesting, you know, the way that candidates go about doing it, because you do see sort of a party split on there. Um, you see a lot more Republicans um, trying to reach their voters in um, what may be normal ways, you know, going to events and 
and trying to, you know, stay safe, but, but also reach people um, where they think they still want to be reached, which is in person. And there are still voters that, you know, say, and this is the Iowa voter way and has been for decades. I want to see them in person, right? We know from the Iowa caucuses that if you didn't get to see your candidate in person, there's no way you're voting for them. You had, you had to go see people in person to see what they were about. There was no other way. And so it's really interesting to see the evolution of that. To, to Amy's point, I, I think that that might be potentially hurting Biden's campaign a little bit here in mm-hmm. Iowa and, and might mm-hmm. be why this race is so close in Iowa compared to what you're seeing um, nationally and other states with, with the polls, with Biden having um, a, a larger lead a, against Trump. I, I think that, that that might be part of it. You know, we... Um, mm-hmm. We, we, we haven't seen him in the States uh, uh, until today. He'll, he'll be coming to Des Moines um, um, this afternoon. Um, uh, whereas, you know, we've, we've already had, uh, Trump has already, and Mike Pence uh, just yesterday had rallies in, in, in Des Moines and, and were able to, to um, you know, be in person and, and, and energize and mobilize their supporters in the crowd. You know, we, we haven't seen that from, from Joe Biden up to this point. And, you know, because of that history, because of Iowa traditionally being about retail politics, I, I wonder if, if that has hurt the Biden campaign a little bit. And does it hurt coverage? Because I know from from my perspective, like our editors are not used to being like, oh, yes, please go cover this Zoom meeting. You know, you send that right. to them and they're like, OK, well, what's the what's the idea? We can't get a photo. You know, we can't get a video. You know, we're where's the excitement? How are you going to talk to voters? You know, a lot right. of that stuff. Our editors are like, go to those in-person events, you know. Only go to the ones where the you know they're actually going to be there, so you can talk to them and you can talk to voters and things like that. So that's even been interesting, just trying to get across to your editor, like, okay, but this might be the only time that you know Biden is quote unquote here. You know, should right. we cover this? Yeah, you're totally I, right. And, and and I think I think that's a good point. That's been a, a struggle as well. I think for for journalists um, uh, covering covering this campaign is you know these events. <clears throat> you know, provide a really good opportunity to, to meet voters, interact with voters and get their thoughts on, on, on the issues and, and, and get their response to some of the things that, that, that the candidates have, have said. And, you know, with, with the disruption caused by this pandemic and, and particularly on, um, you know, the, the Democratic side with, with a lot of this stuff going virtual, there, there just isn't that opportunity. And I, and I felt like, um, you know, that's been uh, sorely missing and, and, and kind of a struggle in providing coverage of this campaign. I think that's so true. I feel uh, like I'm not as invested in this campaign cycle as previous campaign cycles because of just what you're saying, Tom, you're not going out, you're not meeting with voters, you're not talking, you know, pulling somebody aside and saying, well, what do you really think about Joe Biden or what do you really think about Amy uh, Finkenauer, you know, what, what's really going on here? You don't get that. I, you know, and, and I talk to, you know, campaign staff and they say like, so what are you hearing out there? And it's like, I'm not hearing anything. Well, I'm not <laughs> talking. You know, exactly I'm not, what everybody else is hearing on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing the same thing you're hearing. Uh, you know, there aren't, you know, the, I mean, the Liberty and Justice celebration, the, what they used to call the Jefferson Jackson Day dinner, you know, I mean, events like that, um, you would go, you would talk to all sorts of people, you get a feeling for how much enthusiasm there was, how much energy do people really like Joe Biden? Or do they really like, uh, you know, Teresa Greenfield, you know, and and do they think those people are good candidates and that sort of thing? Now, you you don't get any of that, you know, you, you get a little bit at Republican events that are live in person events. But, you know, 
you kind of look for people wearing masks and <laughs> uh, to talk to, and uh, you know, it, it's just really hard to get the same um, feeling about the campaign and to feel like you're getting a, a good uh, sample of what voters are thinking, um, which has just been really odd and frustrating this year. Um, and, and to a point that you made, Tom, about, um, you know, maybe this is hurting Biden. I, I've wondered about that with, you know, uh, Biden has done events, uh, you know, virtual events and Kamala Harris has, has done virtual events. But do these Zoom events pack the punch of, of you know, getting a thousand Democrats or, you know, more than a thousand Democrats together in Des Moines at, at a uh, liberty and justice celebration. I just don't know that it does. I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm with you. I, I mean, you know, um, a, a Zoom conference call with um, Tom Vilsack, um, you know, it, it just doesn't, <laughs> I yeah. don't know, it, it doesn't have uh, that, that, um, that, that um, energy to it. I just, I just don't know that it really does um, you know, it is much to, to really energize uh, voters and, and, and your base and, and to get people excited and, um, and, and energized, you know, compared to, um, you know, uh, in, in, an in-person event, um, you know, uh, having um, Kamala Harris or, or Pete Buttigieg at the, the Polk County, you know, steak fry or, or, or what have you, you know, just having them there to, to, to kind of rally people and, and get them energized. Yeah. When, when you're staring at Tom Vilsack on the screen, I'm sorry, it just, uh, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really do a whole lot. I don't think. Yeah. And and I, I, crowd noise, you know, you don't have the big yeah. crowds cheering, booing, whatever have you. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. You're missing a lot. And I think a lot of editors are pretty reluctant to cover surrogates in the first place. Uh, mm -hmm. unless a really high profile surrogate. So, you know, you can cover a, a, a Tom Vilsack once or twice. You can cover, you know, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, you know, surrogates for these candidates. But after a while, it's like they're not even live in person. So, you know, do we really want to, you know, uh, basically you're doing another phoner with a, another surrogate. And I, I think that's hurt, um, too, that it's just, you know, there there isn't the level of excitement and energy yeah. in a zoom call as there is in, a, in a, a rally where you have an actual candidate um on the other hand you know something like eight hundred fifty thousand iowans have already voted um so maybe you know iowans don't need any encouragement to get out to vote but just the, the you know the candidates uh and the races the contests are, are enough to get them to vote um well, let me ask you this. Was there anything about virtual campaigns that you liked that uh, you hope uh, lasts beyond this campaign? I don't know. I, I, you know, I see the appeal in a pandemic for a virtual event. Um, I see even the appeal for people that can't, for whatever reason, get out to an in-person event, people in far-flung locales or or people with disabilities or, or people that, you know, can use a computer to see something that they've never been able to see before. There's definitely an appeal in that. Um, but do I think that after the pandemic, they're going to run virtual campaigns? No, I don't. And it's because of that enthusiasm factor. And because um, 
they can actually go and make personal connections with voters. And especially for Biden, I think that's really his strong suit is making those personal connections with voters. That's why people have told us that they like him. So I think really those candidates are going to get back to post-pandemic, um, a more traditional campaign. But they might be be well to do some virtual events because I think it does work with a certain sector of voters. Right. I, I think and, and that... I think, go ahead, Tom. I was, I was just going to quickly say, and, and I think another thing that's being lost for the campaigns, um, having these virtual events as opposed to in person, is you don't have um, the opportunity to, to get um, crucial information from, from voters, from those people that are attending these events, you know, getting them um, um, signed up to, to help with the campaign or to help with the party or, um, you know, getting that, that information that they, they, they put into their, 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 their databases. Um, I think that's also something that's, that's um, hindering the campaigns with this virtual format and probably another reason why I don't think that after we get out of this pandemic, you'll see a lot of the virtual stuff going forward. I think sure. that we'll see uh, the, a virtual aspect of campaigns for reasons that sort of along the lines of what you mentioned, Amy, that for, say, uh, uh, the disability community um, and, and maybe elderly people who don't feel like they want to go out to a rally, those sure. sorts of things. Yeah. I, I think campaigns will um, continue a virtual component to these campaigns and, and maybe use them uh, with targeted audiences mm -hmm. um, to reach them. But yeah, Tom is absolutely right that, um, you know, how many people go to a rally hoping to get a picture with the candidate, you know, and, um, you know, stand on the rope line and, and you know, with their their camera uh, ready to go to shoot a picture of them with Joe Biden or, or Donald Trump. Um, and in Biden's case, yeah, I mean, his personal, his ability to really connect with people is uh, one of his strengths and it's been taken away from him. Um, so it, it's, you know, uh, overall, I would say there really isn't much about the virtual campaigns that I've liked, <laughs> uh, you know, even though I can sit here and cover the campaign from the comfort of my home, um, it just, it doesn't feel like a real campaign. Um, you know, I, I think it's what it comes down to. It just, it, it feels so odd. And so, um, yeah, it doesn't feel real. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, kick this COVID in uh, before yes. 2022 and, uh, <laughs> For a lot of reasons, not just for our selfish reasons as reporters, but uh, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on the campaigns? One thing I wanted to ask you is, I mean, do you feel like you've given the same amount of coverage to legislative races, for example, as you did two years ago or four years ago? Um, I, I, in my case, it, I know I haven't. Uh, it's just like... <laughs> You know, there are fewer events in a lot of these um, uh, legislative races. They aren't, uh, you know, uh, doing it um, uh, on Zoom or some platform like that. So the opportunities to cover uh, these has just been uh, very small, very few opportunities. Yeah, I'm not sure if, if, if we've given them the attention that they deserve, um, but but we've certainly tried. And, and of course, when we're writing our, our profiles, you know, we you know, can get them on the phone too, just as easy. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't suffer really. Um, but yeah, as far as, you know, like up-to-date photos from the latest rally they were at, or, um, you know, more videos in our system for people to actually, you know, see their, their comments and, and, and things like that, or, or audio files, you know, 
it, that's sort of suffering a little bit, I think, you know, and mm-hmm. particularly for, for de- the Democratic candidates who aren't necessarily doing as many in-person events. Um, yeah. But I think that we've We've definitely given it our all. Um, I've I've reached out to people on email. I've reached out to them on phone. I've contacted them on Zoom. I'm I think I'm still you know contacting them to to the level that I I would have tried to you know had I met them in person. Mm-hmm. I, I think from our perspective uh, here in the Quad Cities, I think we've done a good job of focusing on um, the the second district uh, congressional race. Uh, I think we've had good coverage on that, and I, I don't necessarily think our coverage there would has been or would be any different um, um, if this were, a, you know, a, a typical year or, or uh, campaign. Um, I think what has suffered, though, is is coverage of uh, local state house races. There just really hasn't been um, a, a lot on that side for for the reasons that, that you had mentioned, James. Um, so I think I think maybe that is one thing that um, that, that maybe has uh, has suffered or, or been kind of a casualty of this pandemic. Well, we're just a few days away from November 3rd and the end of voting and, and then the real fight begins, I guess. But uh, we can't, uh, you know, uh, sign off here without looking ahead. Um, That's and, right. And I, I, suppose, I suppose one possible benefit of COVID-19 has been that it's meant fewer 2024 candidates have shown up in Iowa uh, like they usually do. Um, but they have. A few of them have, mm-hmm. yeah. I know uh, that's frustrated some campaigns who early on told me they, you know, had a lot of visitors lined up, people who would come in and, and speak for their candidate. Um, a few of them have shown up. Nikki Haley um, has been in Iowa. Senator Ted Cruz is in Iowa today. Um, I don't know. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Tom, Amy. Uh, ben yeah. Sass. Is it Sass or Sassy? I think it's Sass. <laughs> I, okay, it's Ben Sass. Sass. <laughs> I always just see it written. You know, I'm a print person. <laughs> ben Sass was uh, knocking on doors and um, stumping for urns, just like Haley was. So I think oh, that okay. might be an indicator. Um, I, I yeah. can't remember if there have been any other Republicans. I don't. I don't really think that Brian Stad's going to run for president. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, he's been you know stumping for yeah, urns. yeah. Um, yeah, it, we certainly would have seen a lot more. I know early on, some Republicans had were telling me they were going to have Marco Rubio come in, and and then um, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, or uh, I don't know, or Senate went back into session and he was unable to uh, come to Iowa. But um, you know, I mean, e- even among Democrats, uh, it's limited them. People like Pete Buttigieg did some uh, virtual events. I, I think Andrew Yang has done some virtual events. But certainly we, we would have seen a lot more of those people um, in a normal year. But, hey, this has been far from normal. So um, let's talk about 2024. Um, who's going to be on the ticket for the Republicans and Democrats? Um, I'll go first. If if Trump wins, it will be Don Jr. versus an as yet unknown Democrat. And if Biden wins, it will be Harris versus either Ivanka or the survivor of a GOP primary bloodbath. So you don't think that Biden is going to go for a second term? Has he said that definitively? Not definitively, but I don't okay. think he will. Okay. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I like Harris for for the Democratic side. Um, AOC has also been floated. Um, even Cuomo has been floated. That's that's sort of an interesting one. Um, but I think you're right. I think Buttigieg is going to run again. I think Yang's going to run again. Um, the young, the younger set of the presidential candidates for sure is going to run again. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think for the Republican side, I, I, I like Haley. I think she's been doing a lot of, um, you know, that early work. So I think that's really indicative of a possible run. I like the idea of like an all female uh, race in 2024. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Haley versus. Uh, Harris. I was okay. going to say the same thing. All right. Well, there you have it. <laughs> We're agreed. I think that would be an interesting race, and I would absolutely like to see uh, it would be. Haley and Kamala Harris. I think, I think that would be interesting. Hmm. It would be wow. a race for the centrists, for sure. Yep. It, it would present a whole lot of uh, storylines. I, I mean, both of these people, I mean, Harris, uh, a woman of color, uh, Haley with her, uh, her, her parents, um, and you yeah, know, coming here, immigrants. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, um, uh, man, I, I could foresee the rise of a third party that basically was like, you know, with a, I want my old fashioned America, uh, you know, white male. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, I can see the rise of a third party post 2020 in general. And I'll tell you why it's because um, regardless of the election. So if, if you've got a Biden win, you're going to have disaffected Trump voters. I think that enough of them could, could be really disaffected with um, the centrist Republicans break off. If you've got a Trump win, then I think you're going to have a lot of the uh, more left Democrats um, getting upset that that we're we're putting you know the Democrats putting forth Biden as and centrists as candidates and not giving them a chance. So I think either way, we could really see a viable third party come out of 2020. I think it's possible too that I mean when you look at the the Republicans voting against Trump, the the Lincoln Project. Um, I, I'm not sure how much credibility to give those, give them, but I think there is, it, it is indicative that there are Republicans who are not Trump Republicans. And I think that's going to be a big question going forward, whether Trump wins or loses, what do those people do? I, I don't know that they're going to join the democratic party. Um, you know, is Jim Leach, is Jim Leach going to join the democratic party or is he going to continue to be a, a disaffected Republican looking for, mm -hmm. A Republican who he can support. And right. I, so I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, you know, if, if this turns out to be a bloodbath that, I mean, it, it you know, it's starting to feel like a, um, a wave or a tsunami. Um, if Republicans really get beaten down at the mm -hmm. polls, I think we could see sort of, um, you know, the, what do you want to call them? Centrist Republicans, moderate Republicans, um, the, the, the real Republicans, as I refer to them, um, you know, they may sort of strike out on their own and, and say, yeah, the, the Trump Republicans, you, you can have what's left because it's it's not going hmm. anywhere. Hmm. But that's prob probably enough uh, fodder for uh, an entire podcast on its own. <laughs> Aaron, you missed out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
All right, folks, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you can find your podcast and send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And you can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City, Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Horrible white dynamite will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Amy, Tom, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well, and don't forget to vote. That horrible white dynamite that makes my mind go blank. Forget my troubles, forget my pain, I've got you to thank. It's clear like water, but don't be fooled. It bites like a shark and kicks like a mule. Have you dancing in the gravel without no shoes? You're the the corn liquor fire till it's only half full let it creep in your belly up in your skull sit around and spin a little yarn while the fire cast shadows on the side of the barn that horrible white dynamite that makes my mind go blank forget my troubles forget my pain i've got you to thank it's clear like water, but don't be fooled It bites like a shark and kicks like a mule Have you dancing in the gravel without no shoes? You're in the corn liquor blues Bloody, bloody